Is your company software enabling the circular economy or blocking it? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we explore how circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll hear from entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our monthly edition of Circular Insights. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for listening and for sharing the podcast with other awesome people who want to create a flourishing, regenerative future. It's episode 98, and we're talking to Barry O'Kane about software, one of the key enablers for circular economy solutions. In 2015, Barry O'Kane founded Happy Porch, a software engineering specialist and consultancy, and now a certified B Corp. I met Barry a few years ago when he asked me to research examples of software that supported circular economy strategies. Barry interviewed a few of those organisations for his podcast, Happy Porch Radio, which now focuses on circular economy software solutions. Today, Barry and I discuss the trends he's seeing as businesses and developers start to build software solutions to support circular economy business models and recovery systems. Barry explains the importance of context-specific solutions and outlines some of the software-related barriers that are making it difficult for bigger businesses to adopt circular systems and processes. Barry also explains how software can help you get a much better understanding of the current system and what the possibilities might be. We discuss the potential uses of blockchain, artificial intelligence and machine learning, including visual machine learning. And Barry shares his lessons learned from seeing businesses trying to get started with circular solutions. Barry talks about infrastructure software, which in this context means software to help business organisations perform basic tasks, including business transactions, supply chain management, workforce management and other internal services and processes. I was in the recovery stages of my first cold since before lockdown, and I'm sorry about my sniffing and snuffling in a few places. So now, please welcome Barry O'Kane of Happy Porch. Barry, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you, Catherine. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you, and um, we've known each other for a couple of years now. I think it might have been a a pre-lockdown meeting that we first had. (laughs) Yeah. So can we start by asking you to give us an overview of Happy Porch and what it does? Absolutely. So Happy Porch is a software engineering and consultancy firm. We I founded it in 2015. Um, and we now specialize in the what broadly circular economy enabling. So that is taking speaking to entrepreneurs, especially and entrepreneurs in larger companies who are looking to develop circular solutions and need the digital um, extra in, in innovation and oomph that we can bring to the table. We're also B Corp certified and fully remote, which I'm quite proud of. 
Yeah, and I guess that's these days that's becoming more and more important, isn't it, as people want more flexible working and so on. And you also host the Happy Porch podcast, um, which has had some some really interesting episodes with different uh, kind of software solutions featured and, and so on. And you've dug into the circular economy in quite a number of episodes and dug into what's happening with the circular economy in Africa. So how did all that come about? How did the podcast get started? Yeah, so um, it's called Happy Porch Radio, and it's really an excuse <laughs> to have conversations with interesting and inspiring people. That's where it started. I, I also think that from a circular economy point of view, um, often software or software engineering is, you know, you see the, the term enabler. And so what I'm really interested in is digging into that more, not from the geeky, let's talk about code point of view, but let's but talking more specifically about the role of software um, as a product or as, a, or as an enabler or as a background infrastructure to circular projects. And so I don't have the same um, energy as you do. So I split my podcast. We do seasons. We do a couple of seasons a year of 12 or, 12 or 15 episodes and pick a topic. And it's been really, really fun. Mm, there's been some really fascinating episodes on there. And over the time that you've been doing the podcast, are you noticing any trends related to the kind of circular economy solutions that you're seeing and covering? We we picked uh, the geography last time. So we, we last season, we looked at Africa as a very big geography and uh, some fascinating and very different context specific challenges there. But I think within the podcast in generally, I am very aware of a uh, of like a real a real growth in the startup ecosystem, so the genuine circular first kind of either in either either products and companies or other or companies enabling plat or enabling platforms or or software infrastructure, and so there seems to be so much energy and excitement there, which is something that I'm really passionate about. Mm, that's really exciting, and I guess I think I'm noticing that. Um, but but you're never sure whether it's cognitive bias either. Yeah, that is true. Um, but certainly, you know, going going back years, it struck me that most of the truly circular examples that I was seeing were coming from startups, um, yeah. not not from within from within companies. Even though you would think, though the bigger companies are the ones with all the all the R and D and the strategists and the people who can devote their time to long term thinking and all the rest of it. Um, but they seem to be worried about being um, first movers. So when you're thinking about the most interesting or groundbreaking software solutions that, you, that you're seeing, what examples come to mind? So so many, <laughs> but there's two areas that I like to split that uh, that into. One is sort of business models, so the, the really more high-level radical changes, and this the anything that um, as a service or productization, I get really excited about some of those. One of my favorite examples was somebody we spoke to a little while ago now on the on on Happy Porch Radio. There's a company called Care, K E K A E R, who a Singapore-based air conditioning company, and they um, now do air conditioning as a service. So instead of selling you the big massive pieces of equipment that sit on top of factories and shopping centers and industrial parks, um, they sell you a temperature in the building. And to me, that's just a really exciting, both from a circularity point of view. Um, 
the phrase that always sticks with me is when he said, um, our finance director is our chief sustainability officer because operating the machinery for as long as possible and as cheaply and as energy efficient as possible and having effective repairs and et cetera, et cetera, is the business rather than selling more of the of the, of the machines being the business. Um, so that is pretty, that, that, that and similar examples. And from a software point of view, then you can really look at the, the ways that, the, so you've got things like tracking and, and, and measuring, and you need to know the temperature. You can then, the company then, he talked about employing, you know, a whole bunch of software engineers and moving away, you know, to, to have all these exciting opportunities. He talked about uh, temperatures in the building across the day. And they're basically, the whole mindset changed and they get really exciting about stuff that's more than just, hey, let's make another machine and sell it. Mm. Yeah, I think that sounds like a um, fascinating episode and uh, maybe I'll um, go and have a look for that and put a link in the show notes for people. I heard Care being interviewed on a, an architecture um, podcast as well uh, and that was, you know, it was, it was fascinating to hear just how different their mindset is compared mm. to most kind of, you know, seller, seller product businesses. Mm-hmm. Um so, in in the constru- in the construction industry, um, the, oh, the, that's the one area that I've, I can actually see action happening is the sort of um, the internal, so lighting as a service, or the air conditioning, or heating, or um, uh, or potentially furniture in some cases. So that is, I think, um, an interesting area where the, some of the larger businesses can mm. see levers, easier levers for them to pull. Yeah, and I noticed last week, I think it was, uh, so. Um, November 2022, John Lewis are going to be going into renting out residential um, space. And they're, in that, they're going to include rental of John Lewis furniture. Um, mm. So again, they're, you know, kind of bundling up services and improving convenience, but also, um, you know, bringing more revenue, different, a range of revenue streams into their model. So you talked about business models being one of the, um, the strands mm. you've been thinking about. So, was there a, was there another strand that you a trend that you're seeing? Yeah. So, the, so the other one is infrastructure. Um, so, um, and and my angle on that is looking at the software that businesses operate on. So, everything from stock control through to e-commerce through to uh, um, supply chain management, purchasing, and everything, um, and just broadly lumping that on as a software infrastructure that businesses operate on or with. Um, and so so much of that is has been born out of and is optimized for linear thinking, which means that it's one of the reasons I think um, that it's harder for larger businesses to change course because they have this huge investment in in optimized operations, including the software for linear processing processes. Um, and so what's interesting is when we see people developing or working on solutions to actually uh, create infrastructure to allow businesses to start to either pilot or genuinely change some of uh, those linears into circles or part circles. Um, So um, and uh, to bring that to life, my Mm. favorite example there is Wreath in Edinburgh, (laughs) R-E-A-T-H, a wonderful startup that we work with who um, are working on software to help businesses track um reusable particularly containers um but but and 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 starting with closed loop business models where you've got instead of um the product going out you're getting the containers coming back and then what then what's interesting is you're 
traditional stock control now has to have all these extra hacky and manual processes to work out well you know we're getting this thing back we need to track it we need to know how many times it's used is it clean you know can it have this other thing in it what had it in the past all this information that's really important to just operate it never mind to then optimize it and improve the containers and so on so they're working on software um, exciting software that allows businesses to um, actually operate or start to pilot and operate those kinds of models mm, yeah because there just are so many different things that you need to know aren't there if, you, if you're kind of providing something as a service uh, I remember uh, Tom Harper of Unusual Rigging back in episode 3 mm. um, who uh, his company were sending out um, motors and lifting equipment to theatres. Um, and so, you know, that motor might do duty once a performance, lifting something light off the stage and back again. Or it might be, you know, lifting something really heavy um, multiple times. So mm. to kind of know when that needed servicing was a tricky job. So kind of putting... Um, sensors and internet of things in and then the software to kind of keep an eye on that and flag when things needed needed um, servicing or bringing back for refurbishment and, and remanufacturing you know that was the key to it really yeah tom is a brilliant a really interesting example because he's so driven and so it's such a leader in that um that he was able to commit to the long, long, difficult process of creating the software to enable that. You know, he had to work with a company for many years and sort of, again, to transform their, their sort of stock control thinking to this, well, let's look at actually individual item tracking and, like you said, usage and um, and where's our loss of materials and all. And, and, and he can talk, he talks passionately on, on your episode, on, on your podcast. And, and I also had a chat to him on ours about... Um, the business benefits that that did bring, but it took a long journey for him to create that software. It's not mm. that every company has somebody as talented and passionate as Tom, and so that those platforms need to exist for many many companies to start thinking like that. Mm, yeah, and and hopefully that is starting to happen now. And maybe there are businesses, you know, similar to Unusual Rigging, who've developed their own solutions and then realize that it could be adapted for other companies and you know that's another um another way of diversifying isn't it so um we've talked a little bit about the lack of action from established businesses compared to startups um but are you are you noticing any difference in approach from bigger businesses now are are you noticing them starting to experiment and and think about this um I want to say yes, and I'm not sure I can confidently say yes. I mean, there's definitely things that, um, you know, that we're seeing ha- happening. But as you say, some of that is just being in the bubble. Um, so I need to be a little bit cautious. But there is definitely motion and talk. I, when you now speak to people, even a few years ago, it wasn't even on the table. Like, it was a what is this kind of conversation. Whereas now the conversations are at least... Well, maybe net zero and sustainability is at the top and and sort of built into that is an assumption that they need to think about circularity, even if they're not using that terminology. So I think there is definite green shoots and things happening in, in my experience. Um, the And as maybe as individuals, people are getting it. But the real challenge, especially when everybody in, in business is often just running, feels like they're just running to stand still, is how do they 
and and so many of the conversations are like, I don't even know where to start, or I need to do this big analysis project to understand, and how do I do that? And I've got no capacity to do that, and I need to convince by you know, it's like all these barriers, even if they're psychological, all these barriers in the way, even if people are starting to understand the need for it. Um, so I have a mixed yes, maybe to your question. Yeah, that's an interesting, you know, for somebody who's not involved in software, the, the different jobs that software could do through the process of developing your circular strategy and, and solutions at a company. So I guess this the software to do the analysis could could be kind of, you know, completely different to the kind of software that you need to manage the solutions later on. Yes, yes. And the, and the additional challenge is that there's no, there isn't yet enough, a broad enough body of knowledge for um, for us to say, okay, just do this and it will work, you know, and that, and, and at any of those stages. Um, there are some amazing people um, uh, working on the consultancy side, working with businesses to try and understand and, and, and look at their, their circularity options and so on. And they're having to do a lot of um, sort of manual data crunching and data gathering from multiple different sources and it's slightly different in each company because because we haven't yet um they're they're starting to look at how we can sort of use tools to streamline that process but because it's still quite nascent a lot of the i need to understand the problem the analysis part is um it's not like hey we can automate this thing and just magically scale it up Mm. Um, and that's something that's really important from the software side actually that i think is a really important um takeaway um, for software engineering and for anybody who's working in this industry we're in this incredibly powerful privileged industry and and very sought after talent and so we have a, a, a in my opinion a, a moral obligation to be involved in these conversations but we can't go in with um, hey I've got this technology you know here's my hammer and everything looks like a nail kind of scenario it's much more using some of the smarter techniques about, okay, well, let's learn and iterate and, and, and work out how to take small, lots of small steps quickly instead of um, big, massive, um, chunky uh, software projects, for example. Mm. And I guess things like machine learning could come in there, couldn't it? I'm thinking of a podcast I heard where using machine learning to recognise things that were coming in for recycling and refunds. Um, and that company had started out trying to recognise different types of fish on a uh, that were being uh, landed yes. on a boat. Yeah. Um, and so, and then using the machine learning to kind of get better and better and better at recognising the the different species and then the different ages of the fish in that species, and so on. So I guess yes, yeah. I guess that that could help, couldn't it, to kind of evolve things that you you start with the blunter questions and then use things like machine learning to to get more specific later on yes exactly and there's two two things there to pick out one is that sort of learning process so starting as exactly as you say with um broader questions and then narrowing it down um and software good software development process anyway involves learning and, and 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 adapting quickly and and so that this so that the software is actually helping with the problem or the business rather than becoming the uh, the the sort of thing that is that is is difficult to change. Mm. Um, 
But secondly to that, the other part is is the te- where different technologies fit in. So machine learning is obviously an incredibly powerful and very exciting tool in the right place. And that is a, an amazing example, the visual, um, like um, uh, and the other company I think you've spoken to who do the, um, who were working in, on food waste, um, uh, AI, visual recognition AI, and then they're also now doing other, like in those situations, you've got huge amounts of data, as in you've got maybe recycled objects going through a, a conveyor belt or a massive amount of thing. And if, if we can get something to analyze that and understand it, then we can start to do smart things. So that type of technology fits there. There's other situations where you don't have tons and tons of data, um, yet, and the problem is, how do we gather that data, or how do we, you know, there's a different problem, and then maybe there's a different type of technology that fits into that um, mm. space. Yeah, and I think um, was the example you were thinking of Winnow for the yes, food that's waste. Them, yeah. yeah, so um, Jamie Butterworth um, mentioned them in the in the podcast with Circularity Capital. So yeah, it, it, that's a fascinating one, and I think they're they're still going and and going strongly. Um, and I guess as we're in the, in the UK, we're seeing all the issues with inflation in food prices and energy costs. Mm-hmm. Then there's another push, isn't there, for um, chefs and kitchens and commercial kitchens to get on and do something about that. Mm-hmm. So um, in the in the in the sort of um, circular economy press, um, exchange platforms uh, get plenty of attention, and in the wider press, um, blockchain seems to um, garner the headlines, um, and you know, let's leaving Bitcoin aside, um, <laughs> people still seem to think that blockchain is going to be the answer to trust and traceability, and um, I guess certifying whether the materials you're using have been produced sustainably or are actually recycled as opposed to virgin materials and so on. Um, how effective do you think those approaches are? So that takes that that takes me back to what I was saying just before about the right technology for the right situation, um, and um, any new tech, especially one with so much sort of on paper potential like blockchain, um, it's very easy to get sort of caught up in in our own um, buzz, if you like, and so that's my. Um, worry or concern about anything is like we can't say uh, there is no one magic solution that will magically solve everything and there is no technology that can do it by itself it needs to be in in parallel with all the things in the real world which means um, the really interesting complex problems which are people (laughs) Um, uh, I laugh because software engineers we always say we like difficult problems but the caricature of a software engineer is they avoid the really difficult problem is how do people work together, <laughs> which is the most interesting part of any making anything work, whether that's people or businesses or behavior change and so on. So going back to the blockchain thing. So yes, blockchain has a real potential, but only in the right places and where there is multi-party trust or where we're trying to solve problems like, um, like Circularize are trying to do where um, uh, solving the incredibly difficult problem of long supply chains where there is still um, a a very strong need to maybe protect or hide some information um, all the way down the chain. So I might not even know who's providing the information, but I need to trust it. There are places like that where it can fit in. The risk is that we use a very complex, heavy technology in another situation 
where maybe something simpler is is much more effective because we're and especially if we're trying to iterate and learn quickly um there might be a different tech in different circumstances mm. Yeah, because one of the um, issues with blockchain that gets kind of swept under the carpet is the amount of energy it requires, um, which then means, you know, and all the sort of data centers and so on being um, required to, to run it. Yeah, definitely. And that is, I mean, within the within the blockchain world, there's two two broad um, uh, underlying technologies, and one of them, the bit the bit the one that Bitcoin relies on, is massively energy intensive, and then the other one is um, less energy intensive. It's a newer thing uh, to try and solve that problem, but it brings other problems in it still. So it, there's just a lot of complexity there. Um, but you do point at something else that's really important and another thing that I think I always want to mention when I talk about digital enabling and software, and that's the impact of the internet and software and the hardware devices themselves. So that always needs to be front and center of any project as well. Mm, yeah, because, you know, the kind of internet's invisible, we tend to forget about exactly, all the yeah. energy that's required. So, um, you know, we've we've done a little bit of work together um, to help support and promote the circular economy in Africa. And you did your excellent podcast series um, interviewing people who were doing circular things in Africa. So I know you think the social dimension of uh, business and, and the circular economy is critical. What kind of things are you seeing um, there in terms of software that, that businesses are using? Um, so uh, absolutely, yes, that like the software has to exist in the real world we can't go around thinking that we're going to you know solve everything with 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 just force the software onto people um and so given that i think the thing that i've that i kind of understood before really working with um that project that you mentioned which was with footprints africa an, an amazing organization um and um and then the conversations we had across the the podcast was how important context specific solutions are um it's it's um it, it can be that something as simple as sms's are the are you know which we don't see as technology because it's so ubiquitous now but in, but it's it's not it's still possible that that's a powerful tool in some parts of the world for enabling um for example some of the informal waste pickers scenarios and things like that um, so there's this real mix of situations where technology is very, very limited, but a small thing can have a massive impact, um, uh, um, it, it, particularly in those um, low resource settings. But I think the lesson that I would really like to emphasize and the thing that I want to take away there is it's context specific. So. Um, you know, something where we're using blockchain over here because we've got, you know, all the infrastructure to enable that is almost definitely not the right solution in uh, in a different context. And maybe there's something much simpler, much more basic that's more relevant. Mm, yeah, that's um, interesting. And are you seeing organizations using software to create more inclusive systems or bring people into the system as um, co-creators or to use that buzzword, prosumers? Yeah, um, there is some interest. That, well, I, I've, I've got tiny exposure to some of those things, which are really interesting. I feel like so many of them are so nascent, um, and the real um, the people who are really impacting there, like the technology, is a very tiny part of what they're working on. It was maybe just the communication medium, for example, and it might be as simple as SMSs, or even simpler, like um, uh, um, 
as a, as a way to communicate with external parties about funding or promotion, but actually what they've got is a social enterprise with people literally on the ground, you know, very local, mm. um, um, or or they're making products from waste and then selling it, and it's the selling it that maybe is a has got an ele- an element of e-commerce or something. Um, but I think there's it's quite humbling really to think you know that there's all this amazing talent and these amazing projects happening in in some of the rural parts of um of Ghana or Kenya for example um that are um that are very low tech and potentially very high impact um on the other side there is some really interesting and relatively high, and pretty high tech technology I was just thinking about um hello tractor in Kenya mm. Um, who have got um, an IoT structure and a, and a, and a tractor rental model, um, and that is enabling, um, like small-scale farmers, to do things where they which they couldn't have before. Mm. Yeah, and that one's been going for a number of years, hasn't it? It's mm. one of the one of the early ones. So Barry, thinking back over the last um, number of years, where you've been starting to work on more circular projects. Uh, and thinking about your lessons learned, how would you suggest that businesses approach sustainability or circular projects? <laughs> um, so, so often it's context specific, but I think the main thing or is that I worry about or see is people getting stuck in a little bit of either analysis paralysis or a bit of fear of it's too difficult. Um, and so some small scale learnings, even if it's not at the stage of pilots, I think there's some really interesting um, ways to just take small steps and that to open doors that, you, you know, I didn't need to completely understand everything until I take, you know, to take lots of small steps, like I said. Um, so I always su- suggest starting small um, but and, and hopefully allowing that to accelerate quickly um, with fast feedback loops and so on. Um, in terms of software and the digital side, often that means literally not even you know not not big investment, not big like off-the-shelf tools um, or um, on the coding on the no-code tools, um, so that allows fast um, process, fast iterations of piloting and prototyping. Um, so that's my sort of strong recommendation: is to always start small and then take small, fast steps, and whatever whatever that looks like in the context of what you're working on. Even, in fact, especially in situations where you don't have all the information, there will be resistance and problems. There'll be a long list of challenges, from financial to you know, there's all these things that seem like hurdles. So we don't need to solve them all at once. Let's just start taking some small steps in there. Um, and my second thing is always, uh, particularly with digital product projects, especially as you start to get to the piloting phase, is to put um, circularity and the and the sort of um, energy and 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 climate impact of the hardware and software that we're using as a as a as a front runner. So, for example, if we're providing devices or thinking about IoT devices, then just ask the simple question: What do we do with these at the end of life? Where do we source them? And by incorporating that thinking into the project. I think that has a an exponential effect of mindset change for the people working on the project because then they start applying the same thinking outside the project as well. And one other thing to that I think is really important is to is to think about this the importance of collaboration. We don't need to do it alone. So big businesses, there are huge talent out there in terms of consultants and other startups and other people to speak to, um, even if that's just advice. Um, and for anybody out there who's thinking, I've got this huge problem, I want to start working on it. 
don't do it alone. There are so many people interested and passionate and, and willing to help that those conversations can change everything. Mm, that sounds like great advice. You mentioned no code tools there, and that's a new bit of software jargon for me. Could you unpack that a bit? Um, yes, of course. So, um, yeah, you're right. It's a bit of tar jargon, no code and low code. But what it really means is that most coding literally involves um, a, 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 an engineer or someone who's learned how to code sitting, writing lines of, of code programming and, and doing all the sort of messy behind the scenes or complex behind the scenes things. No code tools are, or is a new terminology for tools that allow p um, people to do things quicker, maybe with drag and drop or with... Um, uh, uh, with less, with, with needing to have less training in the coding side. Examples include WordPress, where instead of having to code your individual web pages, you're able to log in and just create a new page and put in stuff. So that's like the, the sort of iconic examples of a, a CMS tool. Um, there's also things like um, even uh, there's multiple tools if people are familiar with things like Zapier or or other online tools which allow you to do things, connect things together or send messages from one to automate sending messages from one place to another without writing code. So that's all I mean. They're a fast, they're a good way to sometimes fast create prototypes or iterations. And in many cases, you can, you don't, you can build things where you don't need a whole 20 engineer team. Mm, okay, so I guess in even simpler terms, it's a bit like the functions in a spreadsheet um, where you could bring in something like a regression function and it does all the hard work for you and all you've done is exactly. um, kind of, um, you know, use, use the recognised phrase. Exactly, exactly that. Moving away from software, if, if you prefer, um, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing mm -hmm. to make the world better, what would that be? Um, so the absolutely crazy magical thing that I'd love to do is just to have everything cost what it actually costs, if you see what I mean. So externalized costs actually be in, our, in the products that we buy. Um, if we did that overnight, I think we would we'd be really shocked. Um, but I think that's the part that's missing from everybody's personal automatic and business costings. Mm, yeah, good one. Thank you. And who would you recommend as a future guest for the program? So I, reckon, I mentioned Wreath uh, earlier, who um, uh, are an amazing startup, Claire and Emily, who founded Wreath, and that's R-E-A-T-H, um, in Edinburgh, their the software platform to enable reuse. Um, amazing, amazing business that they're building. Great. Thank you. I'd love to follow up on that. And Barry, lastly, how can people find out more and get in touch with you and the Happy Porch Project? So the best place to get in touch with um, or to find out anything about Happy Porch is just happyporch.com. Everything's on there. You can find us uh, and learn a little bit more about us there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm happy to speak to people there. Thank you. Yeah, I'll take those links and, and put them in the show notes so people can look them up. Barry, thank you very much. It's been great to catch up with you and get some of your insights from all your learnings over the last few years as you've been involved in this range of business software projects and also talking to all these these excellent podcast guests. So thanks very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure and it's fun to be on the other side of the conversation as well. I loved Barry's hammer and nail analogy, highlighting the danger of trying to use a particular type of solution to solve everything. In other words, if your only tool is a hammer, there's a temptation to see every problem as a nail. I'm guessing blockchain is in that category right now. 
Instead, Barry's advice was to focus on the context and not get sidetracked by wanting to use the latest technology when something else might be just as, or even more suitable, and simpler and cheaper. Barry reminded us that software solutions are not just about the software. For example, if you're going to use sensor technology to monitor something remotely, you need to think about the energy use and the sensor device itself. What will happen to that device at the end of use? And how can you make that more circular? And how could you make it easy to upgrade those sensors? Barry gave us some other great tips based on his lessons learned over the years. Don't get stuck in analysis paralysis and think about those who you could collaborate with, even if it's just for advice or to bounce ideas around. Conversations can change everything. Barry talked about care, K-A-E-R, which sells air conditioning or cooling as a service across Asia. I think this is an excellent example of a company transitioning to circular business models. I've included a link to the Care website and Barry's podcast with Care in the show notes. The example of visual machine learning for sorting batteries or fish is Refine Technologies. And that was featured on Katie Whalen's Getting in the Loop podcast back in 2019. Now, unfortunately, Refine looks to have closed down. So there you go. That's a wrap for this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. My thanks to our guest this week, Barry O'Kane of Happy Porch, for sharing his insights and experience with us. Thanks to Ohuli and Tido for the music. And as ever, my thanks to you for listening and sharing this. You can find out more about Barry O'Kane and Happy Porch at happyporch.com. Listen to Barry's podcast, Happy Porch Radio. Follow him on social media and check out all the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two or buy a copy of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities, with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, 
coaching and advice and circular economy resources at rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. <laughs>